Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's been a hot minute. We took the entire month of August off and partly into September. Guys, I want to thank you so much for being patient with us as Quentin and I readjust and get our schedules back in order to get this podcast back on track. I'm really excited about today's guest, Miss Jen Horling. She's going to be talking about a very sensitive topic, so consider this your trigger warning. We will be talking about suicide and its effects on not only her, but our audience members. She is the author of Finding His Voice, her brand new book that's available on Amazon and anywhere you find books. She's also a graphic designer and entrepreneur who works in the entertainment industry. You might see her name on the back of some recent movies that have just been released. Thank you so much for joining us back on The New Normal. Enjoy the show. Welcome to The New Normal, where we're talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me as always is my good friend, Quentin. Each week, we dive into those various topics and bring you an inspiring person or message to navigate the world with a positive mindset in this new normal. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now, here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to the new normal. I'm Sal, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Quentin. Say hi to everybody, Quentin. What's up, guys? It has been a little bit of time since our last episode, and we want to thank everybody who's been pressuring us to get back on the microphone and saying, where are you guys? We've had a lot of things happen over the last month of uh, August with hurricanes coming to the southeast Texas region, Louisiana area. I had internet issues in relationship to that. Quentin, you've got family things going on. You know what? I didn't have problems too. It, it was really the hurricane that kind of like shut shot the show down. For, it really for, did. It yeah. was it was terrible. I mean, we were very blessed in our area. We were very west of the the Iowa, but it was it was still just a huge cluster on our just life in general caught up with us. But again, thank you to our listeners for sticking with us, for following us on our Facebook page and Instagram. You know what to do. We want you guys to subscribe to the show. If you're interested, follow us on Facebook. You can find everything at newnormalpod.com. But without further ado, I want to introduce our guest today. She is an amazing bright spirited young lady by the name of Jen Horling. She's also a newly is is it newly minted or is this your is this your second, third, fourth? Are you a newly minted author? I would I would say a newly minted author. Let's say that. Nice. <laughs> well welcome to the show, Jen. We want to thank you so much for coming on to the new normal. Thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So we are going to spend some time with you talking about a very sensitive topic. So I do want to be, you know, cautiously optimistic that folks will be able to stick around and and hear this message because it is going to talk about suicide. It is going to talk about a very serious topic. So I do want to at least put out a a trigger warning out there. If anybody has some sensitivities around this topic, I would encourage you to try to listen through the whole way, but we will dive into some sensitive topics. Um, If suicide is obviously uh, an issue with with yourself or you've had those thoughts and you've had uh, family or friends that are experiencing that, we would encourage you to seek out 
uh, some professional help. And I think, Jen, you might be able to get into some areas where those resources will be available. Yep, absolutely. Awesome. So Jen, tell us a little bit about yourself. What got you started in life? Like what, what drives you? How did you get into this, uh, the game that you're in? I, I know for our audience who isn't familiar with us, you're a, you're a production designer, a graphic designer. You've been on Hell's <laughs> Kitchen as, as a production designer. You recently just had some credits attributed to a movie that was recently released. Can you tell us a little bit about what, uh, what you're all about? Absolutely. It's been a wild ride, let me say that. <laughs> uh, a journey that I didn't expect life to go the way that it has. Um, uh, but the only way I can summarize that is to say God is a lot bigger than we think he is. And uh, where I was 16 years ago, uh, going through the horrific loss that I did, which we'll get into, is not where I am today. And life has definitely taken a lot of twists and turns and had a lot of surprising fun things happen, which I'll, you know, give credit to God for doing uh, in the aftermath of some really horrible stuff. So I don't know where uh, people are at right now that are listening today, but uh, if you're going through anything difficult or hard or even loss itself, uh, where you're at right now is not the end. And that's kind of the, the gist of, of my story. And uh, yeah, right now I'm uh, kind of wearing multiple different hats. Uh, like you said, I run a graphic design firm, uh, which has kind of exploded in the last few years. Um, but that's what I went to school for was graphic design, uh, which then in the last five to seven years kind of expanded into working into the entertainment production world, um, working on all kinds of you know music videos, commercials, TV shows, movies. Um, and then in the last year and a half now, an author. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's the gist of where we're at today. Definitely not a road I thought I'd be at at this point. But. That's awesome. What got you into the, into the fine arts area? Was it just a natural passion and design for that specific medium? Did you need a creative outlet? What, what led you into the graphic design world? It's actually really, really interesting. I had no idea graphic design was even a profession. Um, I was in college. I had just lost my dad to suicide and I had no idea what to do with my life. All I knew was that I had some interest in art and I had no interest in math, science, history, <laughs> reading, you name it. So I had really no desire to go to a university or anything and get a crazy um, college degree. Uh, but I wanted to pursue some art. So I went to a local community college, took a few art programs and was just looking through all of the curriculum. And I was like, graphic design, what's that? <laughs> that sounds like fun. Uh, took a few classes and, and fell in love with it. And God just continued to lead me step by step down this path to, to where I am today. And it just became, you know, evolved into different things as time has gone by. And I fall in love with new facets of how to be creative and use the talents and skill sets that he's given me. But well, the same token, you know, I, I had been through horrific loss. So I, I also didn't want to use what I was learning to just sell something to somebody. Mm. I wanted to use it to minister to people's hearts. So that was kind of like brewing at the same time as I was pursuing this art degree. Um, I knew like deep down it had to mean something and it had to be used for something greater later. Right. Uh, that's where we're at, we're at today. It's kind of starting to transition, which is exciting. I heard a really great quote not too long ago on another podcast that I'd love to get your reaction to and kind of your thoughts. 
parents always tell kids and, and they kind of squander at the arts and they say, you need to get a real job. There's no money in being an artist, whether you're a singer in a band, whether you are a graphic designer, you know, the, the whole stereotypical starving artist cliche that comes with being in the arts while at the same time consuming art daily, you know, we've got you know, media companies, we've got movies, we've got art in itself as, as a fine art. What are your thoughts on parents who are discouraging their children from being in the arts because it's quote unquote, not a real job. And then at the same time, having that hypocritical stance of we're going to consume all this art by artists who went to school, who did this to get into a profession. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Well, on one side, I can understand uh, the fear that is associated with those decisions in that profession because it is an unknown. And, and you know, oftentimes you can see the statistics. But on the other hand, I would challenge that fear and say, wait a minute, God is a lot bigger than any of this fear. And I would tell that person to dream as big as you can and don't let anything convince you otherwise because he can do more than any of us can do. And I've seen that be proven true in my own life. Um, he gave you those talents. He gave you those interests. He gave you those desires for a reason. And if you put them inside of you, they should come out. For sure. So Now you are, I would say, probably the fourth or fifth Danny Johnson graduates that we have had on the show. And it's such a great network and it's such a great... Uh, group of folks to bring on to a show like this where we're discussing what the new normal is and what it means to to certain individuals. Can you tell me a little bit about what led you into finding, how did you find the Danny Johnson community? And I know you've been to pretty much every event as she schedules them. And how do you, how do you justify that? And, and it's kind of one of those, did the chicken or the egg come first? You know, I hear a lot of complaints about, you know, I can't go to these events every single time because it's such a financial strain. But then if you apply what you learn at every single event, you 10x your revenue. So it's just like, well, now I can justify it because I'm applying everything. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you got into the Danny Johnson community, what, what you've gotten out of it, and, and how you would encourage others to, to find that uh, information? Absolutely. Yeah. And everything you just said is so true. Um, there's no doubt in my mind, I wouldn't be where I am today in so many different facets of my life. And we're talking just two and a quarter years that I've been involved in the community and attending events and have found Danny. Um, it's really only been two and a quarter years for me. And I can tell you every facet of my life has been so drastically affected and grown um, exponentially from where it was two and a quarter years ago that like I can credit that, that fully to obviously God, but, and this community and the coach pushing me harder and farther than I thought I could ever go. Um, I found, uh, our coach actually from a friend, uh, a friend of mine who I had worked on a film set with, uh, his name is Shane Roby. Uh, he's a fantastic gentleman, um, has an amazing heart, has a desire to actually help change the industry and uh, wants to um, create environments where people are honoring, where you can trust each other, where that we're not like bulldozing over each other. And there's a lot, so much of that in the industry. Um, I think it's a really beautiful message that he wants to change. And so I knew this friend prior to attending events. Um, 
And then he attended and I started seeing all these changes happening in his life, changes in his finances, his relationships, his health, his physical health. And it was a really short period of time. I was like, this is amazing. And I was almost like, you know, in disbelief that this could be happening to somebody this fast. Um, and then he, he shared with me how at events, um, they can train you how to work in a team aspect like that. How do you work in an environment and show honor and show love and show respect? And they teach teams to do that. It was like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. That's what we've been talking about. So I knew I had to go check it out and it didn't take long to convince me. I was pretty much there in two events and was completely blown away, completely blown away. And to answer your question of, you know, what is the value of continuing to go back and why do I go back even though I quote unquote can't afford it? I can tell you this. I, when I went to my first event, um, Danny gives this line of give me a year of your life and then you won't recognize it a year later. It's so true. I was at the point where I knew things needed to change and they had to change. And I was desperate for that dream that was inside of me to become my life. And I knew that if I couldn't get there, then was this life even worth it? Like that, I cared about people and helping people so much that that was like, I have to give this a shot. I have to see if this is true. And sure enough, it proved exponentially true because um, that year I hit, well, I, actually since I started, I hit every single event and I didn't hit every single event because I had all the money. <laughs> I made the decision and the choice to to invest in myself and say, this is worth it. This is worth it. The dream is worth it. The vision is worth it for me to find out if this is possible. Yeah. And uh, in a matter of one year, um, I had tripled my business's uh, finances. I had tripled my personal income. Um, I had paid off over $20,000 worth of debt. Uh, I went from a team of just two people to a team of over 10. Um, multiple friends and family came to events and started, you know, experiencing freedom in their life. Um, but even that is like not even the most valuable thing you learn in attending in attending events. To me, the most valuable thing is like the internal healing that can happen and and the healing of your heart and just seeing that shift and new freedoms come uh, as you work through different things. They they teach you and walk you through there is really the most beneficial and valuable thing that you get from attending for sure i told a lot of friends that it's it's the best bait and switch tactic (laughs) in in the world because i originally went as one of those i'll give it a try again a friend you know the good drug dealer approach give them a little taste and then (laughs) make them come back for more but i had a friend who you know gave me the book uh we've talked about the book uh, so many times here um we we had talked about Danny in the past. He sent me a couple of videos that her and Hans had done on the balcony of their lo- lovely home. And I'm like, here we go. And, you know, he gave me the book and he said, just give this a try and see what happens. And he ended up buying a first steps to success ticket for Orlando. And he goes, if you can get here, you can stay in our RV. We're going to be at an RV park just down the road and we'll take you every day. If, but if you can get there, I think it'll change your life. I'm like, ah, you know, I'm starting to read the book as he's at first steps of success because obviously I didn't make it. I'm reading the first three chapters and I'm literally reading me. And that's the scariest part is like, 
I'll go when I have money. Oh, it's too far. I don't think I could do it because, you know, it's just another guru pitching something. And I'm reading all my excuses as a mirror. And I'm just like, oh, I can't believe it. I was like, well, if she comes to Houston because we're, we're in that area, then I'll go. And then I'm like thinking, of course, she's not going to come to Houston anytime soon. That Sunday, I get a text message from my friend, Scott Blair. He says, hey, dude, guess what? Uh, next conference is in Houston. What is, what is your excuse? He said, I'm like, ah, so I, I got it. I got the funds together. I went and with, without overstating it, without over-exaggerating to your point, it quite literally changed everything, everything about how I looked at my finances, everything, how I looked at my business, how I looked at relationships. It's that three tiers that is a part of the conferences, but you go in kind of like, oh, I'm going to improve my finances. Oh, I'm going to improve my, my selling techniques. And you come out of it realizing that there's an emotional side that needs healing. There's a, there's a spiritual side that needs healing. There's a family dynamic that needs healing. And you're like flipping everything on its head because your priorities are so out of whack. And I remember writing this down in my notebook during the conferences because she talked about Pharaoh and Abraham and the differences between the two. Are you Pharaoh or are you Abraham? And that just stuck. I mean, it was like a knife because the, the principle behind that was, are you ruling your home in fear because Pharaoh was afraid to lose power? Or are you raising your home? Are you, are you running your home in faith? Because Abraham had faith. And I was just like, oh my God. And I just broke down. I had Sam Wender who was right next to me and his, his daughters. Uh, a lot of great connections that have been made through that. But I mean, to your point, it's, it's a life changing experience that can really dynamically change your life for the better. If there's a huge, if there's a huge caveat to that, you are coachable, teachable, and you are willing to put in the work. That's anything in life. You're, you're never going to not hear this from someone who's truly selling something that works, right? These get rich quick, these quick fixes, they never work before for that reason, because you don't have to put any work into it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something about parents and fear and fear for their children, you know, going into the arts. Can you, can you expand a little bit about, you know, how fear can take hold of someone's life and, and kind of that, that transitions into our, our topic for the day. You know, what, what is it about fear that holds people back in your opinion from truly having a powerful life? Well, yeah, you, you totally nailed it. And that even relates to, I think, also what sets these conferences apart is, and that is, you know, a lot of these self-help gurus and um, speakers out there, um, there's, there's a difference from them and what we experience, I think, at Danny's events. And that is what she's teaching about comes from the Bible and it comes from an actual promise. and since it's a promise, you know, that is from the father. So if you are actually taking action and listening to what they teach you, it's going to come true. Like what, what, uh, other self-help system out there can guarantee results if you take action. Well, when it's based on God's word and it's a promise, it's a guarantee. And so that also relates to the, the, the topic of fear and, um, the fact that fear stopping you is because you're listening to other voices other than the father. And when you're, when you're able to distinguish what voice is speaking to you, is it, is it your own mind? Is it fear 
is it lies or is it the father? And learning to distinguish which, which voice it is, is so important. Um, and I think that that boils really, boils it down to where that fear come from. Fear comes from, it's not the father. It's a lie from the enemy or even from your own, your own confusion, your own struggles, your own hesitations. And uh, learning that difference is, is so important. How would you say someone can go about learning that difference? Like what is, what has been your method? You know, obviously we don't want to say use Jen's method, use Sal's method, you use Danny's method, but is there a formula? Is there a good technique? Is there, is there a path that one could take to recognize fear over faith and how they're navigating their life? Absolutely. Well, if you break it down, I mean, think about the the way that fear speaks to you. Fear speaks from a perspective of you can't do it. It's too hard. You're not good enough. They're all negatives. That those are based in fear, and that's not the father's heart. That's not the father's voice. That's not that's not how how, how he feels about you. If you're wondering how he feels about you, and you want to know his voice, all you need to do is read his word. And as you read his word, you're going to see how he speaks. I would actually encourage you to, to take the Bible, start reading it, and actually highlight anytime you hear the Father speak and notice the patterns of the way that he speaks to the, those that he loves. There's a pattern. There's a way that he speaks. He, he speaks out of love. He doesn't speak out of um, like trying to condemn you to, um, to fear, to be full of fear. And we're commanded to be courageous. We're commanded uh, to not have fear. I mean, that's that's one of those huge aspects of the Bible that people, I, I believe, take strongly out of context in that, you know, there's apparently two different gods, the God of the Old Testament and the God in the, the, the New Testament. I'm like, well, the only thing that separates the two is the blank page right before Matthew. It's one story. It's one narrative. It's one God that is reaching out to his children and commanding them you know when you use the word command versus instructing or telling there's a lot of difference with you know how you you navigate that perspective he's literally commanding this is the god of the universe this is the all-seeing all-knowing omnipotent god who is commanding you do not have fear you know we we look at the 12 spies and or rather the 10 spies that came back with a negative report and we navigate our lives through the 10 spies bad report instead of listening to the two the small voices if you will that are telling us no we can do this our god goes before us yes. we can have you know victory wherever it might be but we pay attention to the 10 spies that are saying, oh, there's giants, there's fortified cities. We look like grasshoppers. And obviously you can replace that with any sort of metaphor that you want. You know, the job is too hard. I'm not good enough for that job. And, and how that can lead down to a path of just, and this is another topic that I want to get into. I think it leads, leads into, again, the, the topic that you want to get into, but guilt versus shame. There's a very, oh man, it's, I get kind of choked up even thinking about the quote, but I heard it in a, in a, another podcast with, um, it was on the Lewis Howes podcast, just absolutely powerful. I'd, I'd have to bring up who the, the guest was, but we'll put it in the show notes. And the quote talked about guilt versus shame and guilt is, I'm sorry that I did something that was the problem. What I did was the problem. 
and I'm sorry for it. I'm guilty. I'm repenting. Shame is I'm sorry that I am the problem. And it was just such a powerful, I mean, like I was moved in when I heard it and I had to stop the podcast, rewind it and listen to it again. And I was just absolutely floored by, by that concept of guilt versus shame. Can you talk to us a little bit about how guilt and shame work into the topic of suicide? Sure, sure. First, I'd love to respond to the, the whole thing about fear and, and something that hit me as you were talking was it's not that people like, like you read about in God's word didn't have fear, but it's what they chose to do in spite of the fear. So like you take David in the story of David and Goliath, for example, when no one else wanted to fight Goliath, what did he do? He, he chose, despite his fear, to say, I'll do it. And why did he say that? Because he knew he, his Yahweh, was with him. And so it's not that fear was gone. It's what he decided to do anyways. And he, and he knew that his God was going to be with him. He knew that his God loved him and that he wasn't going to be alone in that battle. Um, but yeah, it's talking about uh, guilt and shame, there's, it's such an interesting subject matter because so much of this life, um, as we're dealing with things that happen and choices that we make, it's so easy to end up in that boat where you're beating yourself up. But in all reality, we were designed to work through that stuff with the father and not experience shame. Those feelings were meant to bring us into intimacy with the father uh, and, and to have healing and to, to be forgiven. Like those are actually what's supposed to drive us to him and to a deeper relationship with him. We're not meant to, to feel shame. We're meant to uh, feel an, a more intimate relationship with the father because he wants us to come to him. And so that's supposed to be what's driving us to him uh, versus feeling the condemnation for that. For sure. And can you, can you lead us into, before, before you actually do that, Jen's book called Finding His Name. I'm going to put that on the screen just like you are. <laughs> the My uh, crossed out. It's available on Amazon. We'll have a link to it in the, in the show description. But I want to read the very first, uh, well, not the first page, but the acknowledgments. I thought it was very powerful. And, and I'd love for you to just kind of talk about, you know, what led you into writing this book? What led you into this topic? It says, Dad, thank you for who you are. Thank you for showing me what an authentic and passionate love for the Father looks like. You loved him more than anything else in this life. I saw it in how you pursued him, how you dove deep into the scriptures, searching out further context, culture, and history. I'll never forget your hunger for him and the joy that radiated from your entire being the day that you called home while touring the Holy Land and a few years before your passing. And, and you go on to, to talk about the acknowledgement, but what led you to talk about this topic? What was, what was the antithesis, the catalyst that, that got you into this topic and then ultimately writing this book? Um, well, kind of like when you first started our, our call today, you know, you, you gave that preface of like, if, if this is a sensitive subject for anybody, you know, just as the trigger warning. And, and that very thing is such, um, such, a, such a thing where people are afraid to talk about suicide. There's certain things that people are afraid to talk about. And 
And I get it. It's a very uncomfortable subject. But at the same token, even though it's uncomfortable, there's people who are hurting. There's people who are struggling. There's people who are suicidal and they need help. And I can't tell you how many you know, days have gone by where I wished that I could have gone back and said something or done something for my dad. Um, none of us knew that he was struggling as much as he was. Uh, and, and so, you know, now I'm at this place where I just, I don't want to not be a voice in an area where uh, so much help is needed. So much um, attention needs to be on this subject matter because it's a big problem and we're not talking about it. And so that's really why this book has come about is I want to get it in the hands of people who are hurting and they're afraid to talk about this subject. So can you talk to me a little bit about the, you, you were mentioning it, was it your father's suicide? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so 16 years ago, uh, I lost my dad to suicide. I came home one day and found out my dad had ended his life. Uh, he had shot himself in the head. No note no explanation. He was just gone. Um, and he was a fighter man. He was a Vietnam veteran. He was an EMT responder. He was trained in FEMA. Uh, he was in my mind, James Bond. And so, and in a few others that have joked calling him that, <laughs> uh, and he, like, like I said in the book, he loved the father intensely. Mm. Um, and I'd always like walk into his room and find him in his word, reading the Bible and reading concordances and like digging and finding stuff and wanting to share it with us. Uh, so having, having him get to the place where he was at and none of us knew, um, was crazy. It was definitely crazy. So you talk about, you know, the, not seeing the signs or not knowing that what was going on, he was obviously devout and, and he was very involved in his community, you know, in hindsight, would you say that you were able to kind of dissect over the last few years and then obviously pouring into this project as, as an author, were there signs after the fact that you can say, I should have reached out or, or this, this is definitely something that, you know, post-traumatic stress may have been a factor. Um, What were some of those things that you maybe saw in hindsight that you were like, Oh, there were signs, but we just, kind of pass them off because, oh, it's just dad. He's, he can handle it. He can brush it off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, there were definitely, I think, signs that looking back on it, we, um, we could have, could have given more attention to. Um, he was starting to deal with, nothing was like officially diagnosed, um, but he was starting to deal with paranoia and getting, um, being delusional and seeing things that weren't really there. Um, and so there were just these little things that were happening that were out of the norm, uh, and seemed excessive, uh, and obsessive like in behavior. And so while these things were starting to happen at that time, even PTSD wasn't really a thing yet. And so if I had to guess, I would say that he was, he was majorly dealing with PTSD. Not only did we not know it, but he himself probably didn't know it either. And so that's all for sure PTSD, especially later in life, dealing with those types of symptoms. That's not, that's not like sudden onset of schizophrenia when you're in your twenties or something like that. That's, that's for sure a carryover from PTSD. Yep. Yep. 
so yeah, he was probably dealing with all this stuff internally. Um, and you know, we didn't really know the depth of that struggle, the depth of that battle that was going on until it was too late. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that, you know, now PTSD is something that's being talked about. Um, and I think we need to open up <laughs> those avenues of what we're talking about further, um, because it's still a major problem. How would you respond to someone, you know, knowing that your father was devout in, in reading scripture and, you know, you, you open up your book as an acknowledgement to his, you know, pursuit of scripture and pursuit of God. How do you respond to someone who says, well, if he had God in his life, why did he commit suicide? What, what would be your take on that? And, and how do you reconcile? Well, if, if he was close to God, then he should have not had that, those thoughts. You know, it's a hard thing. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, wonder about, you know, suicide and, and what happens to somebody when they commit suicide. Well, I can tell you without a shadow of doubt, there is no doubt in my mind that my father is in eternity uh, because he, like I said in the book, he loved his God more than anyone else that I ever knew. And, and so, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing, you know, um, mental health is is a is a big problem and um the things that we go through in life can can develop roots inside of us uh that that we don't always know how to dig up and get rid of and heal and so there's no doubt in my mind also that he had some major stuff going on inside that he didn't know how to deal with yet he loved his father so there was this this battle going on in, in his on his insides that he didn't know how to navigate and eventually his own mind gave up. And so, you know, that's why it's so on my heart to help those not get to that place. I agree with what you said. I, I was a, a cop uh, for, for a long time. And I saw, I would say, I don't know if I would say that suicide was the leading cause of death that I saw, but if it wasn't the leading cause of death that I saw, it was tied with like car wrecks. Um, and it, it might have actually been more suicide actually but you know i am not i I'm, I'm not a follower of any sort of christianity or abrahamic faith but i will tell you this I, I i was at one time in my life and i read the bible very religiously and i agree with what you're saying um i don't think that like it's something i struggled with when i was a cop i'd always have these people i'd go to their houses and i'd say you know, my, my dad, I only saw men do this. I've, I've never seen a woman commit suicide. Um, and, uh, you know, they'd, they'd, they'd always say, you know, my dad is in hell. I'll never see my dad again. And I was like, that's not, that's not in the Bible anywhere. I can't, I've never read that. I don't believe that. That's just, that's just patently false. I feel like that's some sort of Catholic doctrine that was invented later on because people, you know, I think, I think there was actually a suicide epidemic in the, the middle ages with the, the black death and they, they just invented this. Uh, but I, I, there's, there's no reason to believe that. And, um, I talk to people about that all the time, but I mean, that what I saw with suicides is probably the thing that will stick with me in, in my career the longest. I've, I've seen some other nasty murders and I've seen some nasty car wrecks and stuff like that, but suicides were bad. And the way it affected the families were, were even worse. And I actually just had a conversation on one of my friend's Facebook pages about this. I, I, I've seen men commit suicide any way you can imagine. And, and the, every time it would be one of their children that found them almost 
without fail. And I will never forget the screams of those kids. Uh, it will be with me forever. And uh, there was a guy I was talking to on this page, and he was, you know, contemplating uh, doing the same thing. And, you know, I said, I, I will tell you what, if I could record, if I could record what happens to a family after you pull the trigger or you do this and play it back for you, this would never, ever go through your head. And, uh, it's, uh, it's something, it's something that I, I, uh, I, I can't describe to most people. You'd have to be there. And, uh, I think he, he said that really woke him up. You don't think about these things. You get very caught up in the, in the moment and, and in what's going on in your own head. And, and, and I, that is not a takeaway from what is happening inside of somebody's head. It can be bad. And the scars I got left with from that career were pretty bad. And I was in a pretty bad place too when I left. So I, I totally sympathize with those who are going through this because I've, I've been there. And at some point, I, I don't know what there was about it to embrace, but I just embraced my experiences. And I'm, I'm actually really glad I was there. And it was the point where it was almost as if fate was putting me in these situations. I was on vacation once. And I was on vacation in the house next door. I was trying to get away from this. I actually just had a really bad week. And the house next door, a, a boy's father had just hung himself in the house. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This cannot be happening. Because I, I heard the kid. And you, when you hear it, you know. You know. And I heard the kid come out and scream. And I knew somebody was dead. And I, I knew it was somebody they cared about. And I went over there. And I had to cut his dad down. But I got to sit. You know. And I, I, I made sure there was no foul play or anything like that. I, I called the local sheriff's department. And sat there. And I was a cop. And I gave, you know, my witness statement. But I sat with the kid. And I just hugged him. And it was it was really hard, but uh, you know I was there, and I, I'm actually really glad I was. Uh, and and it's 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 taken me years to admit that because it's really hard. It's it's hard in its own way to admit that you are glad to be in a situation like that. But the impact you can have on somebody's life, the impact you're having on people's lives with your book from this experience, there's there's no telling how many lives you can save with this. There's you know. I don't know what I did for those kids in, in those situations or those families or the, the daughter I talked to in, in a similar situation to you. And I told her, you know, like your dad's not going to hell. You'll see your dad again. And, and there's a lot of people that I worked with that were just like robots. They were just not capable of connecting. They just refused to do it. They refused to connect with these people and to be the support they needed in that moment, because you're, you're either not allowed to, because it's against, department policy to show any sort of leanings toward a faith or whatever. I just threw that crap out the window. At that time, I actually was a Christian. Um, but I, and, and, and I was really at, towards the end of my career, I was really not at all, but, but it didn't matter to me. And, you know, I was going to be there spiritually in whatever capacity I could for that person when it was going, when, when that was occurring. And, and most officers just will not do that. They will, they will not let the barrier fall. And so, uh, yeah, that was, that's my experience in kind of a very small nutshell. But uh, I, I'm, I'm, this is a big topic now, you know, especially with, with everything that's happened and then the, the video that came out, I guess, last week. Hmm. But it's, 
your your message is definitely one people need to hear. Yeah, the fact that someone would would even use a platform like social media to live stream their own suicide and then the I, I hate to use this terminology, but I I can't think of anything. The the sick perverse desire to then want to share it as if it's something to be glorified or or even just looked at like some sort of sideshow. So so we talked about I think the it's just pain, man. I, I think that guy was just in pain and I think he wanted somebody no, 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 to no, know how much pain he was in. Shared it on social media. Oh yeah, yeah. Reshared it and reshared it. I mean, so much to the point that people were putting alerts on their own Facebook, keep your kids off of TikTok for the next week. I mean that that it yeah. even had to be that and and it gets into a whole, you know, privacy and freedom of speech aspect of what should and shouldn't be allowed on social media, but how do you stop someone who's in the midst of a of a live transmission? You know, we were starting to dive into the effects of suicide on family, so I'd I'd love to get Jen's perspective on on how it affected you at such a young age and, and where you are now into getting into the book. But before we do that, I was one of those people, that guy who was like, man, suicide is weak. You are weak minded. You, you know, you, you could have sought help. You know, it's easy. Just reach out, you know, what's your problem. And, and it took not necessarily a personal experience, but just the maturity. <laughs> Quite frankly, it just took that maturity and growing doing more analyzing, doing more soul searching and scripture searching and, and realizing that and even having my own guilt and shame that was bottled up inside and how that could lead down a dark path. Can you talk to me a little about or, or can you talk to those individuals who are just like, you know what, suicide is weak. People who do that are weak. They don't have the, you know, intestinal fortitude, the mental fortitude. They deserve what they got. You know, how do you how do you react to someone who's that cold and and just dismissive of, of what's going on in someone to lead to suicide? Um, I don't know the quote, but there is something out there that speaks to the fact of um, being kind because you don't know the battle that someone else is currently going through. And, and that's exactly the quote that I would use in this instance of you don't know what that person is dealing with. You don't know what they're carrying. You don't, they've been through, you don't know their story. And so um, I would just, you know, make that plug to say, like, if you don't know their story, then don't make that conclusion. They're probably full of pain, full of so much heartache, so much rejection, so much fear, so much internal struggle. And they're probably already beating themselves up so much to the point that they don't hear anything other than how horrible they are. And so, or they only see their pain. And so when, what drives a person to get to that place is is a story that you don't know and and so that's really what what the book is is trying to reach is it's it's twofold it's trying to reach that person that is stuck where they're at and they they're kind of now in like tunnel vision and they think that where they're at right now is the end there's not going to be anything else for them this is it um it's trying to give that that message and that vision that no there is yet more ahead. There's a future you are meant for. There's a future you are designed for by the creator of the universe. And so it's giving that 16-year story of, okay, I've been there. I was there too. I was at that place where I was like, is this it? Is this all there is? And this is a glimpse of 16 years where now, 16 years later, I can't believe what life is. Where you're at right now is not the end. Uh, not only for that person who is is dealing with that internal battle, 
but as well giving that glimpse to those who have now lost somebody to suicide or gone through loss in general of how does that affect a family? How does that affect those that you love? And letting you see kind of behind the curtain to, to the ripple effect of what that then causes. Um, and so it's, it's really twofold. It's, it's for both sides. I'd also like to say just from a philosophical standpoint, uh, people who think that people commit suicide are weak or they're somehow lesser or they're cowards or something. It's like, there's nothing scarier than what they're doing. Like that, that's, they don't, I mean, you can, you can profess, you know, all you want where you're going when you die, but truthfully, you, from a philosophical standpoint, you have no idea what is, what is the next that's happening. So that's, that should indicate to somebody how much suffering an individual is going through to take that step. And instead of criticizing and chastising somebody who is, in the throes of this type of depression or, or ha- deep struggling with this type of situation, maybe reach out to them and find out what it is that, you know, puts them there. And a lot of people won't open up. I can tell you when I was having issues, there was no way I was going to open up with people. I, I almost didn't talk about what I, what I shared today. And it's very minute what I did share. It's very hard. A lot of the things that, that I've been through to share with people. Um, and, and it, but it's so critical to do that. But you have to, the, the person to share, they have to have ears to, you know, have to have somebody listening to them and hearing them, actually hearing them, not just, not just sitting in the room while they talk. You know, no one listens to each other these days. No one takes the time. It won't take five minutes. And when they do, it's always from some sort of presupposed position on, on that person's life or existence. It's never, it's never real communication or, or compassion. It's, our, our society has become so disconnected. And, and as much as I hate to say it, that poor guy that, that committed suicide on social media, I think that's actually going to be a huge positive change. And, and I, I hate to say that. I think that actually will wake some people up. There are people out there who have suicidal people in their lives right now that they are ignoring, that are close to them, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know. I, I always, when I was when I was a cop, I I I'd, I'd hear these callous and and almost people who would just maliciously talk about others who were suffering with no empathy, no regard for them whatsoever. And I just I would I just always used to say I just want you to look. I I, I want you to look at some of the things that I have to deal with. And and these are your neighbors. These are people in your community, and you won't even look at it. You don't know. You know. You sit here in your ivory tower, and you and you you won't pay attention. And unfortunately, I, you know, I feel very bad for the guy and I, I, that should have never happened. But at the same time, there could be a lot of positives that come from that. Yeah. There's a great quote in the, in the Jewish Talmud that says to save one life is to save the world. And I think if people can reflect on that and understand that to save anyone whether they're suicidal, whether they're in the throes of a violent attack, to save one life is to save the world. It is to impact that. I mean, you, you are literally taking someone's world away, right? So what, had, what would have happened if your father continued on? What would have happened if the gentleman who, who committed suicide, what would his life had impacted? Would he have been this you know, philosophical person? Would he have been this person that invented something new? who knows, no one knows, and, and you can get 
you know, very nihilist about it. Like it was just supposed to happen and he, he wasn't a part of this world. But I think if people can walk away with it, with understanding that to save that one person's life is to save not only that world, you know, that in all encompassing world of the self, but obviously how that person affects, you know, their family and their family's families. Cause obviously that had a trickle effect when your father committed suicide, how it impacted you, your family members, you know, the, the extended family, the friends, you know, coming and going as the years progressed and, and how that was a ripple effect through your entire life, which brings us to finding his voice. What was it that finally was the, the breaking point, I guess you will, or the breakthrough that you decided to put pen to paper and start actually putting your thoughts and your feelings and this message of finding his voice out there to the world? I mean, to be honest, it really was about that one, that one person who is so full of pain and heartache that they, they can't see where they're currently at. Um, they're drenched in it. They have sleepless, restless nights. They toss and turn in their bed. Um, they wonder if all the thoughts that are going through their head are going to plague them the rest of their life. But deep down, they know there's something more. There's got to be something more, and they're desperate to find it. I was... I have been that person. And so that's who that, that book, it, this book is for. I wanted to get it into the hands of that hurting person because I've been there. I've been there multiple times. And so really it was that, it just kind of got to that tipping point. If I can't do that, if I can't spend my life inspiring hope and, and, and sharing what he has done in my life when I felt that way, if I can't get that into the hands of somebody who is hurting just like me, then, then my life was not what I, I hoped it would be. Like that was such a passionate vision inside of me. Like that really was the tipping point. Like I have to do this. I have to help that one. What were the effects on, on you personally from your father's, you know, tragic end? you know, did it affect your pursuit of happiness? Did it, did it affect your wanting to live any further at a certain point? And, and talk to me a little bit about what was the breakthrough for you that said, you know what, I do have a purpose. I do have a vision. I've, I've been able to find it. I've been able to channel these creative energies into something. Absolutely. I mean, you don't go through something like that and, and not start thinking crazy serious. Um, you start asking those questions of what am I here for? What is the point of this life? Like, it's got to be bigger. And, and people really, really, really matter to the point of life and death. And so it kind of changes your, 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 your vision and your perspective on life in so many different ways. It makes you ask those hard questions and it, and it gives you a different drive going through hard stuff like that, which I'm sure Quentin can relate to. Um, it changes you, but at the same token, you know, it's been, it's been a journey and, and it's been a wave. Like, it's not like I was on this straight line of like, okay, this happened. And then it was just an uphill climb after that. No, it's, it's a journey that is like a roller coaster. And on that roller coaster, um, finding that voice, the father that spoke to me um, when I lost my dad, as a soft, you know, subtle whisper in the back of my spirit. And he said, we got this. You and me, Jen, finding that voice and continuing to find him on that roller coaster of a journey that, you know, has been the last 16 years really was um, 
the story is the story and all the different things that he has said at different moments as I tried to navigate everything, navigate my own head, navigate the voices around me. Um, but finding those messages was really the, the key as life continued on. So like, as you, as you read through the whole story, you're going to, you're going to hear those nuggets of the different things that he said and how he continued to lead and guide and mm. deposit, uh, his word versus another word into my spirit. For sure. When you reached out to Danny or, or was it, was it her that reached out to you to be the, the forward in your book? And talk to me a little bit about, you know, having someone who is your coach, who is your mentor, who is someone that you've looked up to over the last uh, year or two years and, and having them be a part of this journey and, and writing words to start off your book. Can you express to me a little bit about that? I could, I could cry talking about it. Um, as to me, this book wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for her. Her transparency, her vulnerability, and her heart for people, and how she continues to fight through so many things to be as transparent as she is, showed me that I could have the courage to do the same thing. And, and well, you might ask, well, why? Because I, too, care about that one who is hurting. And, and her heart is so unmatched. The fact that she continues to be vulnerable, compassionate, and fights for that hurting person, her courage gave me courage to do what I thought was the impossible, and that was to be completely transparent, share my story, share my struggles, share my pain, with the goal of reaching that one who is hurting and feels like they can't go on. Um, and so she was actually the one who kicked me in the butt, honestly, to start writing it uh, last October. Um, wow, that really wasn't that far ago, <laughs> last October. Um, and that kick was exactly what I needed. Uh, she got me over some obstacles and fears that were in my head. Um, and because of that, I ended up writing 17 chapters in one month wow. uh, and finished the whole book in a matter of three months. And so then you speed up to, uh, the completion of the book being done um, there was there was no doubt in my mind who I wanted to ask to write the forward, and and I was completely blown away when she said yes to the point that I literally, when I like got the yes, I started running around my living room, jumping up and down in excitement because I couldn't believe it. Uh, I mean, you know how amazing our coach is and her heart for people, and so it was just such an honor to have uh, her words in there and. Um, to be able to partner with her in reaching more people, reaching more people who are hurting. And I know that that's her heart too. So, And she has a great quote, and I, I'd love for you to expand on it. But she specifically talks about if you learn more about people than you do anything else, you will be unusually successful. What does that mean to you? Sorry, can you repeat it? Because you, you, it was choppy. No worries. Yeah. So her, her quote is, if you learn more about people than you learn about anything else, you will be unusually successful. How does that relate to your interpretation, obviously, of what that means, but how does that relate to the, the topic of suicide? I mean, it's so important. Um, you want to be successful in being a voice against suicide? It's exactly what Quentin was saying. Listen. Shut your mouth and listen to what this person is sharing. Ask them what's their story. Why are they hurting? What are they going through? Give them that ear 
and you're, you're going to be successful in, in making an impact. What will that impact be? I don't know. But I can tell you this, they're going to feel like they were listened to. And, and people who are struggling are desperate for someone to care. They're desperate for someone to love them. And they're desperate for someone that will just sit down with them. Yeah, I think to Quentin's point, the people, people nowadays are listening with the intent to respond versus the intent to understand. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing that in our current events. We're seeing that with 101 plus days of rioting in, across multiple cities in the United States, that people are just listening to respond, whether you agree with a platform or disagree. But we've gotten to such this, we've talked about it on the show in the past, this false di- dialectic of this opinion and that opinion, and that's the only thing that matters right? There is no common ground. There is no understanding. There is no compromise. There's, there's just no listening. And it's, it's the, res- we're seeing the results of that false dichotomy and that false dialectic, whereby there's just an exorbitant amount of violence and corruption and everything that we're seeing in, in our political atmosphere over the last six months, which to our listeners and everyone uh, listening today, Happy six-month anniversary of 15 days to slow the spread. And, and I want to coin a term. I, I feel like what we're dealing with is a binary logic predicated on a fallacy. So I'm going to coin, we, we, we live in a, a world of false binary logic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tribalism. It's either, um, I was listening to Robbie. I don't even know if it's tribalism. I mean, certain amounts of tribalism won't even lead to this type of stuff. True. This is just like we're it's just literally two camps and they're A-B testing really bad ideas on us. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like you have these people that control a vast you know, swath of society and they have the means of manipulation. And they're like, let's A-B test these two ideas that we have, you know, rigged and we've set all of this up and we'll just figure out where people want to move themselves into. I think it's, it's too big to be tribe. It's like some sort of split nationalism for sure. Or, not even that, because there's no coherence on either one of the sides. It's literally just these false dialectics and consumerism, if you think about it. I agree. There, there's been like no shortage of articles. And, and Quentin and I, we talked about this very early on in the episodes of what we saw the patterns were going to be. We discussed the fact that if people, there was a poll very early on in, in March, April, that if people were still in lockdown, they would quite literally, and this was the quote, they would literally go insane. If the lockdowns went past June, that they would literally go insane. And, and as I was alluding to, there's no shortage of articles coming out now, again, hindsight, that suicide has taken more people than COVID itself. I'd love to get your perspective on that, Jen, and, and why you think that is. And, and then I'm going to dovetail into a separate but related topic of your partnership with King's Ransom and some of the aspects of this lockdown and seeing a 6,000% increase in child pornography and sexual abuse. And obviously those traumatic experiences lead to suicide or drug abuse. I mean, ultimately suicide is is probably the, the biggest aspect of that, but, you know, just continuing that cycle. So, Talk to me a little bit about the, the shutdowns and the effects that that's having on people's mental health, the, the suicide aspect to that, 
how people can reach out for help. And then I'd love for you to talk to a little bit about your, your campaign to get this book out there, but also with a message to help King's Ransom. Absolutely. So, I mean, I, I am right there with you. I saw, I saw the statistics that suicide has risen, I think, 42%. We are supported by Aerial Digital. Aerial Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in custom-designed websites for small to medium-sized businesses. Whether you need a simple one-page bootstrap website or you're ready to start selling your products online with an e-commerce website, Aerial Digital is equipped to help your business. Go to aerialdigitalmarketing.com slash newnormal. That's A-R-I-E-L digitalmarketing.com slash new normal and save 20% on your custom website today. The, the COVID pandemic. Uh, and I can tell you, in my opinion, why, exactly why that's happening. It's because we're pumping fear and uncertainty into the public versus pumping hope, belief, and, and vision for the future. Um, so we're, we're literally driving people to uh, suicide, which is which is horrible. Hopelessness. Imagine if we were pumping the opposite. Imagine if we were pumping hope. We were pumping belief that where you're at right now, it's not the end. Just hang in there. Let me give you some messages and some stories of of people who have overcome. Instead, imagine what that would do. That that percentage would drop if they were getting hope. Getting hope. If they were getting a vision of what their future could be, what it will look like. What if we were told how much the Father loves us through social media? I'm pretty sure those numbers would drop. And just artificially, so many people have lost their jobs. I mean, by dictum, right? I mean, like there, there, there's just been dictators here and there that have just said, "Hey, we're going to shut down the economy, and your entire livelihood is over." And yep. and instead, you're going to lose market share to big box and Amazon. And how in the world did they not think that that was going to have an effect on? the little guy who was already struggling. We're just now getting our feet, you know, underneath us as far as the economy was concerned. We were on the rise and it's just, it was over. And then it was just a constant, like you said, constant bombardment on the psyche of Americans with just fear porn and, and hopelessness. I mean, if, if they didn't plan it to go this way, then they, then we sure, we, we truly do have a, a complete lack of, of quality leadership in the country. And well, if they do the that way, then we have malicious leaders. That's the thing. We, as a public, we're not taught how to dealt, deal with trauma. We're not taught how to deal with bad news. <laughs> Imagine if our schools were teaching us how to deal with grief, how to deal with losing a job, how to deal with loss of somebody that you, you love, because those things are probably going to happen. So instead, what if we were teaching our children how to navigate that, how to keep your, your head up? straight on your shoulders and protect the thoughts that are coming to it, how to battle those thoughts, how to battle your own mind, how to listen for the father. What if we were teaching our children how to navigate that stuff versus what they're teaching now? And there's a total lack of life skills and just quality education for the youth. And that, and that's not just now. I mean, that's our age group too. We had a, a complete lack of quality education and anything valuable, mm-hmm. you know? And it was it was all it was all seemingly to like kind of program us for careers that weren't there when we graduated high school. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's very much the Fight Club Tyler Durden philosophy of you know we we have we buy things for people we don't like we consume things just because it's the American way. 
you, yeah. you brought up you brought up education and, and I'd love to get your point of view and Quentin obviously your your point of view on this is if we were doing that in schools now through you know either homeschooling or public education, if we were doing that now, would we even be seeing defunding the police or these types of riots and and violent outbursts that are happening throughout the country if we were investing in our children and and i stress the word investing you know last time i checked i didn't use the quadratic theory or pythagorean theory today you know like is it important if you're going to get into the stem area maybe possibly but nurture that but if we were investing more time, would we need to have these conversations around defunding the police? Because in all actuality, you wouldn't say defund the education system because kids aren't passing tests, teachers aren't doing their job correctly, they're not meeting test scores or curriculums. You wouldn't look at a school district and say, that's a very poor performing school district, we should defund them. You would say the exact opposite. We need to get more teachers. We need to get better education. We need to adjust the curriculum. So if we were doing that in schools now, the conversation around defund the police, I don't believe would be happening to the extent that it was. If we were training our men and women on how to deal with suicide, because it's obviously going to affect them. If we were training them, Jocko Willenick uh, has a great philosophy, a great point of view on that is, if police and law enforcement were training like they were Navy SEALs, not in that military aspect of it, but if they were spending 20% of their on-the-job training instead of just here's eight to 10 weeks of you know, police boot camp and then sending them out on the street and good luck, you know, th- this goes back to the, to the question. If we were doing this in schools, would we be seeing a world like we are today? I think not. I think it would look drastically different. I think that's that's a huge problem. Imagine if we had even just one class that was mandatory and the, the subject was mental health in general. Imagine all the things we could we can include inside of that and 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 be able to prepare our society for for change, to prepare our society for for trauma and effects that can that can then later cause you know horrible things if if we don't know how to be prepared for them if we don't know how to expect them and how to walk through them knowing that we have a vision that's beyond them versus getting stuck in what we're currently in um i really think that we could see a very different society if we were training um our kids in in mental health and ourselves as well i mean we only we only go for for help with mental health if we think we need a counselor, we think we need a therapist. So those are great things, but imagine if we were proactive with it and we were constantly getting um, walked through this stuff that you're going to be dealing with anyways. Yep. So you might as well be proactive with it and let's teach people how to walk through it. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I have to agree. And, um, I, you know, I'm, I am very much a fatalist and that doesn't mean like I am morbid and, and think about death and stuff like that, or it, it's not, that's not what it means. I, I, I believe there is a fate, right. And you, you just can't, your choice when these situations are presented to you is all of yours, but the situations you're going to be in are the situations you were always going to be in. And once I really 
understood what fatalism was and accepted my fate and then tried to live within that fate instead of constantly trying to fight it or trying to, you know, go back in time or, or try to change things I couldn't change. I was a much happier person. Um, and I think that there is, there is too much. Yes. You, you have, you have a, 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 a motivating factor or you have some control over your destiny your choices are yours and the situations you're presented in. but i think there's just too much desire because we live in this technologically advanced stage to program kids from a young age with like oh look at all of the amazing breakthroughs we're on the cusp of we're, we're going to cure cancer we can uh you know uh cure disease we're going to have uh you know quantum teleportation all this crazy stuff in the future and it, i think people believe that they can change fate in some way and that you know their life doesn't have to be exact and it doesn't your choice like i said is yours but the way you the situations you're presented you, you need to adapt and you need to be taught and given the tools and be proactive on how to adapt to those situations and succeed and thrive in those situations you can't constantly just beat yourself up and bog yourself down like i had done for so many years about all the things that i had seen it wasn't doing me any good. I just had to adapt. And now I see the benefit of being in those situations, being in those high stress situations taught me a lot about myself. And it also gave me a, an opportunity to be there for people when they needed me. And, and, and I don't think that this conversation is being had with people anymore. I think there's people feel like they, they have too much control over, over reality. And that's just not the case. Also, you brought up something interesting about the educational system. And, and this is why I'm like, I used to be very anti-tribal. My, my mentality was like, oh, the tribe is bad. Tribalism is bad. I'm not so sure anymore. I, I've, I've been thinking about this more philosophically. Actually, I'm pretty sure it's, it's, it's better than what we have. The reason I say that is we live in a very diverse society, right? We, we have a very diverse country. If people did have, let's say, tribes, if they had their cliques or their identity and they totally embraced those identities, you would not have a majority out there that had the authority or the capability to burn stuff down. It, it just wouldn't happen. What you have right now is almost like I said, like an AB testing of universal globalism. It's just universalist type commercial propaganda and then just AB testing two different variations on society. You see that in school too. It is very much a, a conformist universalist institution of dogma it's almost like a religious experience that everyone has to go and perform these certain rituals and do these certain things and it, and it totally takes the individual and and there's different you know cliques and identities within those schools where people are good at, at, at language arts people are good at science people are good at math people like music and and those little tribes form very naturally in school and people will say oh that's artificial or whatever no probably not if you if you took away that construct altogether people would probably follow their passions and their interests and follow, fall into those things anyway, right? And while I do agree, I, I, I think that maybe things are taught a little too young, but I will say this, they're taught really badly. I got to go to school later in life and I went for STEM and I took very advanced science courses and math courses. And for example, like calculus, calculus, algebra, trigonometry, they seem really pointless because they just teach you these equations. They just teach you these math problems, but they won't actually teach you is they were all designed to shoot cannons. Like this is, this was all designed for ballistics applications. This was all designed to map and predict patterns within firearms, artillery and stuff like that. And it makes a lot of sense when you look at it from a rocketry perspective, that's what 
the whole the whole presupp- presupposition behind Newtonian physics was launching a cannonball off of the, the planet, how much you know velocity it would take to do this. And it's not taught that way anymore. It's just like, here's the equation. Let's balance it. I don't know if they won't teach it like this anymore because it's not PC to teach kids like about ballistics. I, I don't know. Uh, I know that it was once taught that way. It was once taught uh, in a model rocketry format uh, not too long ago. And for whatever reason, even in my age group, and this was, you know, 15 years ago that I was learning this stuff in high school, we weren't taught that way. And it went, and if it had been taught to me in a way, you know, with vectors and airplanes or rockets or guns or something like that, I would have probably found it fascinating and I would have done really, really well, but maybe it's designed to weed kids out like me who would have done really well and who did do very well with it later on in life um, and just kind of leave us behind or just push us out in general. And it, and it takes a kid who will just look at a bunch of uh, data sets and equations and say, oh, I was told to do this, and this is the way I was told to do it, and I won't ever ask why or what the purpose is. I'm just going to do it. And and those kids are very successful. And I think that's a real problem because those kids generally have a problem with abstraction. They're generally very good computationally, and they're generally very bad abstracting uh, their own equations. So We don't do a very good job of nurturing people's talents and we just put them into this you know standard operating procedure of education quentin i want to i want to kind of dovetail on your on your comment on fate and you know i have i have a reminder and and that's that's tattooed on my arm just because i I really got into the the philosophy behind what marcus aurelius was teaching and marcus aurelius had a quote in his meditations that said you could leave this life today you can frame that in a in a suicide point of view or just the fact that you're taken out of life you know a bus could hit you whatever lightning strikes but you could leave this life today let that determine what you say think and do and i think if you embrace that not necessarily embracing stoic philosophy but embracing that you are not your circumstances i love your quote that where you are right now is not the end if you can embrace call it fate call it circumstances if you can embrace it without the exterior things affecting the interior motivations, then you can navigate your life a little bit easier. If all these external circumstances aren't making you mad, they aren't making you depressed, you know, you you have some control over that with respect to how you react to outside forces. But I want to, I want to bring it back, Jen, to, to your, your mission in, in this book and your partnership with King's Ransom. And if you're not familiar with King's Ransom, they help the, the widows and the orphans. But one of their biggest uh, projects is rescuing children from the sex trade. And I had firsthand experience with this, with uh, their partnership with uh, a ministry out of California that was no longer feasible for them to operate out of California. And they actually moved to Central Texas. And it's one of those, again, and, and I, I want to get your perspective on this as well. Like just the topic of suicide is very taboo and we don't talk about it because it's scary, but also the topic of sex trafficking is very taboo and it's only recently gotten a lot of traction. And, and depending on how the algorithm is working in your social media feed, you might be seeing a lot more of it more recently. But with King's Ransom and, and their fight against sex trafficking, witnessing this firsthand, literally sitting with these young women having breakfast with them and hearing their stories and they're just normal kids and you wouldn't be able to pick them out of a 
uh, out of a crowd to think that they were being either trafficked by their father, trafficked by their uncle, trafficked by, you know, just the, the circumstances are, are far and wide, but it, it all comes down to the same, you know, they're being abused, they're being used for nefarious purposes, for the enjoyment of others, uh, for the perversion of others. But the effect that that has on a child, on a, on a grown person, no less, can end up in, in suicide. So Jen, t- talk to me a little bit about why you're passionate about helping King's Ransom in that fight, but also in, in obviously there are other missions of feeding the widows and the orphans. Absolutely. Well, like, like we were saying earlier, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and, and asking, you know, what is this person going through? What's their story? Um, is so important. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we think that our story doesn't matter, but actually there's power in your story. I want, you, I want you to think about this for a second. Um, so obviously we've been talking about my book, Finding His Voice. When we launched the book, we announced that for a 24-hour period, 100% of the profits were going to go to King's Ransom Foundation, the organization that I was just talking about. In that 24 hours, we raised over just around $1,000 for King's Ransom Foundation to go help these girls that are being rescued from the sex trade and to feed and house orphans and widows around the world. So think about that. There is power in your story. My story, sharing my story, being willing to be vulnerable, partnering with King's Ransom Foundation, then brought $1,000 just in one day to help these girls, to help these families, to help people who need to hear that they matter. And that they're important, that their life matters, and that we're going to help. Yeah. Um, so at the end of the book, I talk about a movement called The Overcomers and, and trying to remind people that your story does matter. You can do things like that. You can do things like what I did. Um, and it doesn't stop there. As we continue to make sales, we're going to be giving a portion of our profits to King's Ransom Foundation because we care about the long haul. We care about partnering with companies like this who care about hurting people like we do. Um, but there's actual power in your story, if you're listening today. There is power in the word of your testimony. And that's what The Overcomers is all about that I talk about at the end of the book. Mm-hmm. If you think your story doesn't matter, I would actually challenge you to read Revelations 12, 10 through 12. Because your story is what triumphs over the enemy. Mm-hmm. There's a verse in verse 11. I've got it right up in front of me that says, They triumphed over him, they're talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. How amazing is that? How oftentimes are we told that our our testimony, our story, actually has power associated to it because of the blood of the lamb? We're not told that, or at least we're not reminded of that. And so um, there's a lot more that we can do um, as far as getting our story out there, being willing to talk about things, being willing to be vulnerable, um, you'd be surprised by who you can help and the hurting hearts that you can reach in doing so. So, of course, people can find your book on Amazon, wherever books are sold, I'm imagining. Where can people share their stories? Yep. So, right now, you can email us at The Overcomers. There's a Facebook page. 
uh, we have an uh, Instagram account, uh, and on, and there's a website as well. So if you visit any of those, you're going to see the, the email address where you can email in your story. And we're actually going to be, as time progresses, sharing other people's stories uh, and announcing a lot more exciting things as the months roll by, because really this is the launch. We just want people to know that their story matters and that there's power in it. Uh, and this is not just about my story. You've got a story. And together we can help a lot more people because my story is only going to relate to people who can relate to what I've gone through. And yes, it will help those people. But your story can reach people that my story can't. And so that's the idea and the vision behind the overcomers is let's, let's help more people. Let's come together as the overcomers and let's inspire hope into a lot more hurting people that are out there. That's amazing. Yeah, people don't know the power of their circle, whether it's 10 people, that 10 people magnifies and is exponential and, and being able to share that testimony and, and having the courage to step out of that comfort zone and ad admit to some things. I think if, if you can start from a place of forgiveness for yourself, you can then find healing and forgiveness of others, whether it's a parent, a brother, a sister, a colleague, whatever. If you can move into that and start with forgiveness for yourself, you can really open up some opportunities for healing and finding the vision. Because I think a lot of people are just supremely blocked in finding their vision because of the wall that has four big letters on it, fear, F-E-A-R. And that's a huge wall that people have, have a huge time, you know, getting over or knocking it down. We like to ask one question at the end of the show. I'm going to start with you with two questions at the end of the show. If you had access to a billboard, what would your message be to our audience and to those who would be passing by this billboard? I would say where you're at now is not the end. That's perfect. That's a perfect that's a, that's a perfect philosophy to just kind of understand that the road does not stop just because the wheel fell off the wagon, right? There's still yep. a road ahead. There's still a path. And the final question, what does the new normal mean to you and how can people utilize that perception of the new normal, the way you define it to help them get out of the hole that they might be in? I mean. I think it comes down to two things. One, taking the time to listen to those around you, to ask that question, what is this person's story that's standing right in front of me? Why have they crossed paths with me today? Is there maybe a reason? Am I supposed to speak life into this person? There's probably a reason this person has crossed your path. So taking the moment to ask them, hey, what's your story? Who are you? Asking those questions, letting them speak, letting them share some struggles they might be going through and then speaking life into them, like taking that extra second to do that. And then two is that we can make the choice to overcome, but will you choose to be an overcomer and step out of the past? Because our words can either cause faith or fear to grow. Very and to me, that's the, that's the new normal, taking the time to, to, to pay attention to that person who has crossed your path and, li and really listen. And second, making the choice, making the choice to step out of the past, to choose to be an overcomer and to choose to allow faith to grow instead of fear. Very powerful. Jen, I want to take some time to acknowledge you for this passion that you are bringing to this topic and your 
drive and motivation to share your story and the pursuit of finding his voice, finding a way through the darkness that is in people's life. I, would, I want to acknowledge you for your, your courage to share your story, to share the traumatic experiences and how that shaped your life and how that's ultimately come out into this amazing book, Finding His Voice, where people can understand that they are truly not alone. I think we hear that so much and it's become so cliche, but there's power and there's truth to understanding that you are not alone, that there's someone who's going, there's nothing new under the sun, as scripture says. There's nothing new under the sun and what you are going through, there is someone else who's either gone through it or is going through it with you or can go through it with you and to seek help and to find someone who will truly listen, who will truly want to understand what you're going through versus just responding and saying, get over it. Jen, do you have any final comments or any resources that people can go to that are struggling with suicidal thoughts or just truly need someone to talk to? Are there any resources that you might be able to point us to? Absolutely. I mean, top of the list is the suicide prevention line, which if you just Google that right into uh, the internet, that's going to pop up. Um, and then also, if you're not familiar with the lady we talked about earlier in the, in the call, um, her name is Danny Johnson. You can visit dannyjohnson.com and uh, visit their website. There's an amazing team of people who would love to take the time to listen to you. Uh, they have had a profound impact on my story and my journey. And this book happened because they listened to me. So I would encourage you to give them a call as well. Awesome. Those links will be in the show notes for this particular episode. Guys, I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to acknowledge our audience for sticking with us. Even though we took a month off, we are getting back in the swing of things, getting our consistency on track. I want to acknowledge you guys for commenting on our Facebook page. If you are not subscribed to this channel, please do so on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you download your favorite podcast. We'd love to be a part of that. And we want to thank you so much for listening. Jen, thank you again for being our guest. Quentin, any final words? All right, I didn't unmute myself. Um, no, I had a great time. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I think people need to hear this. And uh, I was, I, I knew what you, what your book about was about, and I, and I knew your story, but I was still very hesitant to just because I didn't really want to. I, I really didn't want to share my own. I, I knew I was going to, so I was really hesitant to do the show. Uh, but I'm really glad I did, and I'm, it was a pleasure meeting you. Same to you as well, Quentin. And thank you so much for being willing to share some vulnerable stuff during the call. I know that a lot of people listening can relate to what you've you shared and what you've been through and the feelings that you've you've been through. And you're not alone in that either. And so I just want to thank you both for, for doing this podcast, for being willing to talk about hard things. May that be the new normal, that we're willing to talk about the hard things in order to help people, to create a different voice, a voice that offers hope a voice that, that asks questions and a voice that says, hey, where you're at right now is not the end. I so agree. I thank you guys. I thank you guys so much for what you're doing and your, your courage to be out there and do something different. Newly minted author Jenny Horling with her voice, excuse me, with her book, Finding His Voice, available on Amazon. You can get it right now. The link will be in our show notes. If you're interested, buy one copy, buy two copies, give it to a friend, share this message with everyone that you can. 
Jen, thank you again, once again, for joining us on The New Normal. And as always, welcome to The New Normal.